Yo, yo, yo. What up, everybody? Welcome back to the sports edition of the Highly Unprofessional Podcast. I'm your host, Akeem. Back in this thing, man. Look, uh, I don't know if y'all had a chance to hear that uh, Wednesday episode, but that thing was on fire, man. My uh, special guest, man, go check her out, man. If you if you heard it, man, you heard her personality, it only gets better on her channel. Um, be on the lookout. My episode that I did with her is coming up. Um, I believe she said, like, before Father's Day. So uh, thank you, Alea, for, you know, saving me for Father's Day. <laughs> it might come out before the end. But uh, anyway, you know, I want to thank her again for being on the show. Um, if you're listening, you know, it, it got kind of choppy there on um, some segments, man. But she, you heard more than enough of her personality to get a full appreciation for it, man. Um, we have some more special guests that I am locking down. I already have one. Um, we're just trying to come together and uh, just get a date together to be able to do that one. Um, it's another entrepreneur, another young lady. Um, I have some more people who I'm working on. So, man, look, keep sharing that thing, man. I appreciate everybody for listening. Anyway, on to the sports edition, man. Um uh, so I had recorded a segment of this uh, earlier in the week, right after the Magic Johnson news came out. I'm not sure if I'll use that part or not, or if I'll just briefly touch on it in this recording. Um, but anyway, it went on into, uh, you know, kind of like what I felt was like uh, more of a crossing that racial barrier. Um, and, and some of the stuff that, that you heard him say, and I kind of picked that part, I kind of picked that apart. So, uh, I'm not sure if I'll use that part, but, um, you know, just, just if you've, if you've heard it now, then, you know, you kind of have your own opinion about it, but, uh, you know, man, what do y'all think about that, man? What do y'all think about that? It's it's crazy to think because, you know, I believe the day it came out, the day it came out, you know, everybody was like, oh, man, the Lakers, like, it, it just proved everything that we were thinking that they were, right? They don't know what they're doing. Uh, they're going to do it their way, right? They have no structure. How can you land, you know, a free agent, let alone a big time free agent for that to to come to your team. Um and then as the week has gone along, man, it's kind of shifted back towards well, Magic Johnson was this and Magic Johnson was that. And Magic Johnson this is it's his fault why they won't uh why they won't land a free agent. Like really that's that's what you think Magic Johnson who's not with the team anymore, it's now his fault that they won't land a free agent. That's the, that's the main reason why, huh? And that's why when I recorded it uh, the other day that I made that whole argument about it being a, a, a racial issue was because, you know, after they had a chance to uh, sit about it, and I'm saying they, meaning the major outlets, after they had a chance to, you know, dissect what he said, you can immediately come right back out that day and, you know, build your narrative about it being, you know, the black man's fault and all that, da 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 right? But after you have a day or two to get all of your analysts together and, you know, everybody write a story, right, and uh, based on the truth, and like I always say, for something to be based on the truth, it only has to be 1% true. Uh, so they they create their narratives that are loosely based on the truth. And, you know, they went from there, man. They've, they've gone from there. 
right? Pretty soon, I, I can't be, I can't remember if I heard this or not, but pretty soon, you know, it'll be, you know, LeBron's fault some kind of way, right? Not to keep bringing up LeBron on this segment, but, you know, it'll be his fault some kind of way if they don't, um, if they don't land a big free agent because they'll say, oh, well, he wasn't involved in the meetings and he wasn't this and he wasn't that, right? Like, on one hand, during the season, you're saying he's the de facto GM and he makes all the decisions and blah, 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 right? And then his guy, Rich Paul, sends a message, like one simple message, and you can go back and check it, to uh, like a couple of the major guys on the major networks and says, we're just here to play basketball. We're staying out of this. LeBron is enjoying his family, right? Uh, he's working out. He'll be back in tip-top shape next year. He's working out with some of the younger guys, right? His his door is open to anybody who wants to do that, but we're not making any business decisions. We're not involved in any of that, nor have we ever been, right? And... You know, he was there, of course, at the uh, Frank Vogel uh, introduction, official introduction or whatever you want to call it. Um, And I saw somebody bring up a story like, uh, well, he was there to support him, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. What what was he really thinking? What was he really thinking? Like, are we we playing psychics or, or, you know, are we here to report the facts? Because I got kind of confused with that. You see a guy there, your biggest, you know, superstar, um, there to, you know, meet meet his future coach or whatever, right? Just let it be that. He was there. He stayed in the background. He didn't want the cameras on him. I'm sure he probably waited till it started. And he kind of snuck in just so cameras wouldn't notice him, right? But somebody caught it. And, again, I believe they're going to you know, wait till after free agency starts or whatever and see where everybody uh, goes. And as soon as, you know, all the big names off the board, they'll say, well, you know, LeBron wasn't there. He, he wasn't in any of the meetings. He didn't call anybody and tell him he wanted to come play with him. That's literally what you've been accusing him of doing Every time after game's over and he goes to talk to somebody, he can't just be their friend because that's not what we did in the 80s and 90s, right? He can't be a mentor to guys who are 10 years younger than him because that's not what we did in the 80s and 90s uh, well, whatever, right? He can't just give somebody, you know, uh, man advice, grown man advice and say, hey, man, look, I respect your game keep working hard, blah, blah, blah. He can't do any of it because if he's seen talking to a player, especially if it's a good player after a game or an off season or anything, if he has dinner with somebody, even if it's to mentor them or to, you know, talk about like an off-court venture, right, it's going to be seen as he's trying to recruit them because he wants to play with the best players and, you know, I don't know how many players have to come out to say, nah, that's exactly not what happened. But, you know, of course, if you're in control of the media, then you're in control of the narrative, right? But anyway, that's, you know, whatever your opinion is, we've had enough of that. So, you know, let's move on from that, right? And um, over the last week or so, we've had, like, our early predictions for uh you know like the 2020 NFL draft and you know people were kind of shocked at um like not who was on the big board because um if you are if you take in college football like I take in college football right like I'm a fan of college football I watched that more than any other sport like I I really watch the NFL highlights. Like, I don't tune in for a game, right, because I play fantasy football, so I kind of pay attention to the stats and, like, uh, you know, kind of like um, like Bleacher Report throughout the day during NFL season, right, or during the NBA. I kind of pay attention to the stats more so than the game. 
unless I'm catching LeBron play, right? Um, but in college football, I kind of digest it because obviously I grew up in Alabama. I am a uh, Alabama supporter, right? I believe that college football as a whole is more entertaining because you have more kids playing with more passion then you have guys who are in the NFL who a lot of them are playing for a paycheck, right? Um, and you have more rivalries and the passion of the whole thing, right, with the with the fans and, you know, just the community of college football. Um, but uh, they uh, released, well, two people released their early mock drafts, um, I saw Matt Miller release his, and of course, uh, Mel Kuyper released his, and you know, kind of uh, the usual, uh, we we all knew who was gonna be like in the top 10, like, you know, if you follow college football and you are not just into the game, but you like to, you know, see good players play, if you like the whole, uh, uh analysis of the game like I do uh like to watch guys break down film in the off season on YouTube. Right. I enjoy that part of it. Um but anyway, right, it was kind of a stir in the fact that, you know, not who was in the top ten, right, but who was at number one on both boards. And uh it was Jerry Judy who, I mean, if you watched him play, then it's not a, a shocker, right? Because the big board is based on talent, not where you think somebody's going to go, right? I've, I've said, uh, I said about two years ago, right, this past draft was going to be a defensive draft, right? And that's what it was, it was a defensive draft. It was a rare offensive lineman, I, I say offensive line, defensive lineman class, um, you had some rare athletes at the um, linebacker position, right? If you go back to the combine, you had three linebackers who ran, you know, sub four 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 forties, right? You had three of them, right? And how many have you had in the past ten years to do that? And you had three in one class. On top of the fact that you had other guys who who were in that high four for low four five range and then you had a deep cornerback class i know corners didn't go to later on but you had some quality guys who will contribute this year uh go later on but this year you have one of uh potentially one of the greatest receiver drafts coming up and i believe uh one of the better quarterback classes to come out right and um, the thing I notice, if you pay attention to, you know, social media, a lot of the major markets get the first crack at, you know, putting their um, putting their boards out and getting their opinions out. So people from New York, from L.A., from, you know, Chicago, right, people even from the Texas area, right, in the, in the Dallas or Houston area or whatever, Right, they get the they get they get first dibs. They get their chance to put their opinions out first, right? And of course, the SEC, right, who makes all the money. They the reason why ESPN put a headquarters in Charlotte is because they uh, all of your college football money. Well, not all of it. Majority of it is coming from that market. Excuse that sound in the background if you hear that. Um, but yeah, so uh, the the quarterback who was getting a lot of the love early on last year for being a rare football talent was obviously Tua, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, and he uh, had you know uh, average game against well he didn't have an average he had a bad game against Georgia from being hurt, right? Uh, and then in the national championship game, he he didn't have a quote-unquote bad game. He had two bad passes because he still went over 
was it like 250, 260 yards, right? But obviously, you know, we know the result of the game, right? Clemson just dominated Alabama from uh, not only on the field, but I believe that game was won in the preparation stages of it, which is why Nick Saban changed his staff, right? Because Alabama was completely outcoached, you know, and that's why that game was just completely dominated from the X's and O's, right, and the execution standpoint of it, of the game. Um, But I'm not here to make uh, excuses for Alabama. We're talking about the prospects. So, uh, you know, people gave two a hard time for that. And, you know, part of that is because Tua is, uh, was, you know, so uh, sensationalized early on in the season. And, you know, I quote, I just give Trent Dilfer so much um, praise for, you know, never wavering off what he said and this being the, the best quarterback prospect he's ever seen. Right. And if you go just go break down all the things that he said, like Trent Dilfer was in control of the elite 11 for a reason. Like he didn't just put these guys through and you can watch the whole elite 11 on YouTube over the last couple of years. He doesn't just put these guys through, you know, regular workouts or whatever. He taxes their mental game like he tests them. He tests them to see, you know, where their mind is at. Uh, and it's on like a pro level, right? He introduced, he gives them pro concepts to read. He gives them, you know, playbooks. And, you know, for him to have praise for a guy like that, because his first interview, he says, you know, uh, Tua was a, a great high school prospect when he first met him at the regional. Then when they got to the big show, the main Elite 11 event, he said Tua unlike any other prospect that he's ever been around, took all of the notes that he was given. He took all of, you know, the criticisms that he was given, and he took them to heart, and he went and worked on them. And you could see, and you could see how serious he took preparation. And as he's gotten to Alabama, uh, I I can't remember what game it was, maybe after the Mississippi State game or – uh, LSU game or whatever, right? He had kind of had the banged up knee by this point. But uh, somebody from the uh, staff, one of the writers or whatever, um, you know, they're doing their weekly rounds or whatever, and they say they're walking. It's, it's kind of raining. It's like a Tuesday or whatever in Tuscaloosa, right? And, you know, they've had their practice in indoors uh, for the day, and everybody's gone home, but they're walking getting ready to go home and they peek out the back out the window and you can see the regular practice field nobody else is out there but you can see Tua down there in the rain working on footwork working on you know throwing the ball right in the rain and you know I kind of got to thinking like you know why would you want to tear a prospect down like this and and he's still may as well pretty much be the – he's probably going to be the first quarterback taken still. But the point being, um, you know, they're tearing him down in part because, you know, he is not, you know, six seven, two hundred and eighty five pounds or whatever, and he don't have a thousand-inch hands to to throw a football with or whatever, right? And then uh, the other thing is he plays for Nick Saban. He plays in the Southeastern Conference, and guys who write in all these major markets, you know, they hate the Southeastern Conference. And, uh, you know, everything that goes along with it. So he's getting that. And then the third thing is, you know, he's not a, a white quarterback, right? Like, you know, Sam Donald threw awful interceptions uh, at USC, like I, I saw several of them. What it looked like he was on purpose trying to throw to the other team, right? But all you heard was this was a rare quarterback and prospect, and you know that was it. But um, you know I, I believe he's gonna have, I can't say a bounce back season because he had, you know, outside of winning the championship, he had the greatest. 
season that any other out of any other SEC quarterback in the history of the conference. And, uh, you know, so from the standpoint of winning uh, and performing in big games, uh, I believe he is uh, going to have a bounce back and net aspect of it, right? Because, you know, let's not forget what he did to Georgia as a freshman, right? Since everybody's, you know, trying to tear him down after what happened last year. Right, but back to the whole thing about the uh, receiving class from this year. Uh, you know, Jerry Judy, who uh, some people are comparing to Odell Beckham. I don't give him that comparison, right? Because I believe, you know, we're we're victims of the moment, and a lot of people don't like to study, you know, people from the past. Um, I believe he's more of. Uh, a comparison that I would give him would be like a Marvin Harrison or even further on back, you could give him a comparison like to Paul Warfield, right? Even though, um, you know, a lot of people don't even know what that who that is, right? Or, you know, people know that name, but, you know, they'll go look at his stats and say, well, how can you say this, right? Well, Paul Warfield was considered, you know, uncoverable like they said his route running was so far advanced and so far ahead of everybody else's like he just like you whatever you had to counter it he had another counter for it right like you you kind of compare him to like a, a Tim Duncan in the low post uh, from the standpoint of you know he has so many moves so many tricks up his sleeve right like uh, he can he can he can release off the line. He has several different releases off the line. His footwork, there's a video of him working out with Antonio Brown over a couple of days this offseason. Um, and I believe there's several other uh, college receivers. And two of the young guys were, I believe, high school prospects. But you can see the difference in, uh, like, the skill that Antonio Brown, like Antonio Brown is obviously not only a pro, but you can tell he's different than the other kids. Well, he's different than everybody except for one player in that video, and that's Jerry Judy. And their footwork is almost identical uh, in, in that workout. Like uh, they're, they're doing um, a, a drill where uh, they're working on breaking down and so much of what separates uh, uh, college receivers and high school receivers from the pro guys is how they come in and out of their breaks. And uh, you can see how much, how, how in control uh, Antonio Brown and Jerry Judy are when they break down. Like, it's like, it's effortless to them. It's just like breathing when they when they break down on the cones like they're not out of control they're not leaning over they're not about to fall over right like they're not like it don't look like they're going too fast their momentum's not going to keep carrying them they can stop on the dime right so from that aspect i know like the whole thing of how talented odell beckham is but you know i just don't give him that comparison right and that's you know marvin harrison at this point is equally as great as uh odell beckham was and go back and look at marvin harrison at syracuse or go look at him early on because i think a lot of people just see marvin harrison as a possession receiver especially if you catch him later on in his career but no marvin harrison was like always open and marvin harrison could start out in the slide and play all over the field similar to jerry judy but some of the other receivers that I want to pick out, um, like uh, uh, LaVisca Chenault from Colorado, uh, a, a name a lot of people don't know, but he was in the top 10 prospects. Um, go watch the young man play, right? And for me, the comparison, the most obvious thing, even from the way they're put together, he was Anquan Bolden to me. A lot of people had questions about his speed. A lot of people had questions about Anquan Bolden's speed. 
But Anquan Bolden looked dominant to me in uh, the ACC back in the in the early 2000s, in the late 90s. Uh, he didn't look like he had no problem getting open to me. And then he has one of the greatest first two or three years out of any receiver in the history of the NFL. So, you know, I believe that Chenault is that type of receiver. Um, and I believe they have identical styles. So, uh, yeah, go check him out if uh, if you get a chance, right? Some of the guys, some of the other guys who are mentioned on the list, not in the top 10 from the receivers was uh, T. Higgins uh, from Clemson, who for me, uh, you know, number one, let me get props to Dabo Sweeney for uh, his ability to just produce wide receivers. But I think we have to kind of, you know, slow down on that because I think a lot of people have confused the fact with him producing a lot of receivers with him producing a lot of great receivers right like uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a Hall of Famer and waiting in my opinion but if you don't remember his last year I believe was Sammy Watkins first year and he was the third guy on the team right in terms of receiving targets uh sammy watkins and martavis bryant were the two top two guys and you know even though uh even though nuke was a first round pick you know a lot of people didn't know about him as far as the national stage until the draft process or even when he um when he became a uh, rookie in the NFL. Alright, my apologies. Uh, I believe I left off on uh, the Clemson receivers. Um, like I was saying, uh, I give Dabo Sweeney, uh, who was a receiver himself in college, uh, in Alabama. Uh, he can produce uh, some good receivers, but, you know, let's, you know, pump the brakes on claiming them like a, a wide receiver you or a wide receiver factory. Because, uh, like I said, you know, uh, Sammy Watkins, up until he got to, um, up until he got to Kansas City recently, uh, really wasn't, you could kind of say he was borderline a bust, um, but, uh, you know, Martavis Bryant hasn't been able to stay out of, out of trouble, but even so, you know, at best he's like a number three receiver, um, and T. Higgins, I believe, you know, I want to see him, I, like, I, other, he can run, yes, but a lot of receivers in the NFL can run. Uh, you know, he, he's, I don't want to say he's super tall, but he's a long guy, right? He goes up to get the ball. But, I mean, you know, what route running qualities, what, you know, ability to separate have, have they seen that I haven't seen? I believe that, uh, you know, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma is a, better receiver prospect right but I guess you know from the upside standpoint you're probably looking at it and saying okay well you know maybe T Higgins has a higher upside than CeeDee Lamb and you know also the fact that Oklahoma receivers haven't translated all that well uh, into the NFL but you know I believe that uh, you know T Higgins is closer to uh, like a Jacoby Jones. He's, he's probably not that fast, but if you remember Jacoby Jones from uh, Baltimore, I believe he's somewhere in that line. And uh, like I said, CeeDee Lamb, who's uh, got a more wide variety uh, of a route tree that he runs in Oklahoma, especially under Lincoln Riley. Um, and CeeDee Lamb has, you know, great 
excellent strong hands. Uh, another guy, another Alabama receiver, uh, Henry Ruggs, who is, um, you know, just a tremendous athlete. Uh, there's rumors that he's uh, ran, I believe, 425 or somewhere, maybe even lower than that, a couple times this spring at Alabama, man. And, you know, if, if you're going to give somebody a Odell Beckham comparison out of the Alabama uh, receiving court, then it would be more towards um, Henry Ruggs than it would be to Jerry Judy to me. Because obviously of the um, of the ability to catch with one hand, he has some amazing one hand catches against NFL corners, right? Guys who got drafted into the NFL this year, and he had a great game against Greedy Williams this year, uh, and some other guys. But uh, yeah, I don't give him the Odell Beckham comparison, but. I say he's more Odell Beckham like than Jerry Judy is. Um, and, and the guy who, for me, is getting no love is uh, Devontae Smith, man. He he the one who's made all of the primetime, big-time plays when they needed him uh, out of the Alabama trio this year. I believe, you know, if it carries on like this, I believe he's going to have a, a bigger season this year. Right? I believe all of them can beat 1,000-yard receivers. I believe they can have four guys go over 1,000-yard receivers. It's just that Jalen Waddle won't be draft eligible this year. But, uh, you know, if Devontae Smith doesn't get a first-round grade, then I would say, you know, him coming back his senior year and having a chance to be, you know, a top-20 pick next year would do him great because he'll dominate as the number one guy or, you know, whoever takes that number one role the following year out of him and Jalen Waddle in the Alabama receiving core. Um, then there's some other guys like uh, Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State who uh, I, I watched uh, his game against Oklahoma yesterday, as a matter of fact, and he's a speed demon, right? Again, outside of Dez Bryant, how many Oklahoma State receivers have translated? Uh, actually, fun fact, now that I think about it, Tyreek Hill originally signed with Oklahoma State coming out of junior college. Um, but, of course, if you know his behavior, and it, that's also translated to the NFL. Uh, he got kicked out of Oklahoma State for the same issues that he's having in the NFL. He can't keep his hands off women for whatever reason. He can't see the dollar signs. And uh, he got kicked off Oklahoma State team and ultimately ended up at uh, West Alabama. But uh, you could kind of see the comparisons there. I, it's just hard because, you know, Tyreek Hill has just like all-time uh, NFL speed, right? Like he's Olympic-level sprinter fast, and I can't just give uh, – I just can't give Tylen Wallace – I believe that's his name. I can't give him that comparison, but, you know, he's in, he's in that breath of a vertical threat. Um, some of the guys who will go later, uh, I like the guy uh, from Notre Dame, Chase Claypool, who is a real big-bodied guy. Um, kind of puts you in the mindset of uh, David Boston. Uh, he's a Canadian guy, similar to how the NBA is uh, being flooded with Canadian players. Um, I believe you're going to start seeing that more in the NFL. Um, but yeah, he's got that David Boston body, but I believe he'll be farther along uh, as far as his skills go than David Boston was. Um, I also like, uh, is it Michael Pittman or is it Michael Pittman Jr.? I know both the Pittman brothers 
who uh who their dad played running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um their USC, but I believe it's Micah Pittman, who is the receiver coming out of UCF USC, another big body guy, uh, who I like his game too. And uh also another guy who could who I haven't seen mentioned as far as the quarterbacks go. Uh, Ian Book, man, can he's got so much control over football, man. It's ridiculous. Like, his accuracy is right there behind Tua's. I believe his accuracy and control of, over the ball is on par with uh, Jake Fromm's from Georgia's. Uh, so, you have a potentially great great uh, quarterback class and a potentially you know historic uh, wide receiver class coming out this year all right we back with segment number three usually I do it in uh, one take but uh, you know like I said man I recorded if I can't remember if I said it on that first segment or not because I'm recording these on different days because there's just so much stuff and developments that happen this week. Plus, I have, um, you know, things that I was trying to get into this week, man. Uh, we are heading out of town Thursday. And, uh, of course, the kids, this their last week of school. They have events and all that. And plus, I just want my fresh opinion, especially me trying to record this episode without taking any notes like I usually do. I won't do that um, probably anymore, but uh, I'll adjust it to where I can give my fresh uh, opinion while also having my notes to play off of. But, you know, that's a part of learning. That's a part of growing. Uh as a podcaster, as a content creator, this is unrelated, totally, totally, totally unrelated to sports, but uh, it has something to do with college, so it's close students, we just missing the athlete part, but uh, the brother who helped out the Morehouse students, man, shout out to you, bro, shout out to you, uh, all those young men will have a chance to, you know, Morehouse is a black school. So all of those young black men, I'm sure there's white kids who go there, uh, but a very small handful, all them black, young black brothers will have a chance to, you know, get off on the right foot uh, in life. I'm sure some of them even probably got some contact information uh, from their brother. I'm, I'm, blanking on his name right now but uh you know they'll have a chance to instead of you know spending uh whatever excess amount of money every month um on repaying a debt or you know whatever whatever uh when when sally may come knocking at your door uh instead of their credit scores going down the toilet or whatever because they can't afford to pay it because as they'll find out in this world, that degree that they got really wasn't worth it. So, you know, instead of, you know, going broke with this bachelor's degree, some of them can go broke getting their master's degree. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But uh, anyway, I am seeing uh, the hashtag cancel my debt movement on Twitter, man. And it's really split because, you know, as I refer to him on Twitter as the uh, mayonnaise militia, uh, I guess it's saying that, well, why the hell do they get, why do they get bailed out? I had to go to college and blah, 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 blah. And I have to pay my debt. I'm responsible enough to pay my debt back and all that. Right. You know what? Hey, let's just keep it real. Uh, obviously, this <laughs> episode is about uh, race and sports and all that. 
Uh, if you are, you know, if you're too squeamish, man, like I said before, just stop listening right now and, you know, go listen to the next person or, you know, just wait till my next episode or go re-listen to some of my old episodes, right? But, you know, we're going to have a real moment right here uh, when white students leave out of college, even if you have debt, you still that that might be something that's holding you back but you know you have one ginormous advantage advantage over those black students and that's just that that you're white and they're black they will have uh way more challenges than you have in life right regardless of whatever you want to think However many black kids you claim were your friends growing up or however many you went to school with, your white skin will allow you to have certain advantages that they won't have. And a brother who has made, you know, just millions and millions, I'm not sure, he's probably a billionaire, Um, but a brother like that to, you know, um, do something as significant as that. Uh, let them have that. Don't go, you know, whining and saying, well, I deserve something because they got that. You know, we deserve certain basic human rights and we don't get that and you get it. So I'm pretty sure uh, whatever you still getting, whatever privileges your uh, your whiteness allows you still outweighs this very small, very small uh, gesture that they were granted. Um, yeah, but if y'all got a chance, man, go check that out. It's called hashtag cancel my debt. Uh, somebody, I am looking at one right now with somebody saying, you know, farmers got a $15 billion bailout from the GOP. No problem. Banks and corporations got a $900 billion bailout for their mistakes. No problem. Billionaires got a $1.5 trillion tax cut. No problem. But the students who wanted a little bit of help, the GLP responded, no way socialist scum uh, learn fiscal responsibility. Hmm. Yeah. Man, anyway, you know, while we're on that theme of race, let's get back to the sports, man. So, uh, you know, as many of us are a part of um social media you know sometimes you follow certain pages you know based on whatever your interests are you know this being sports a sports related episode uh of course i follow sports pages sometimes sometimes you know they just pop up on your feed on uh instagram or twitter or whatever the case may be and you know sometimes you engage and i engaged and uh the other day uh, they had some something about college football because, you know, we were a uh, hundred days away from the beginning of the season. I believe we're about 99 or 98 days out now. And um, I can't remember the topic, but I, you know, I put my little two cent in. And uh, just like my last couple of times, of course, you know, somebody responded. Uh I, I tried to look this young man up because it was a teenager. I believe he's from um <laughs> believe he's from Indiana or Chicago. I tried to look his high school look. But uh I'm guessing from his class, well no, that is right. He's a ninth grader. So, you know, just to let you know how young this young man is. Uh Whatever my response was, his response was something about Alabama because my response was something about the University of Alabama and uh, some of their players or whatever. Because, you know, the post mentioned Alabama and a couple other schools and the young man reposted uh, something about, you know, the players being from a state in which, you know, they have sex with their cousins or whatever. And, you know, I just found that completely interesting because, you know, the difference between Indiana and, you know, uh, the cousin, the cousin loving state of Alabama or Mississippi or Arkansas or whatever 
you know, whatever opinion you have about the South, you know, the difference between a southern state like us and a northern state like Indiana is the same difference between the uh, spelling of two and two, right? They look and sound exactly alike, right? The one just got an extra O on it or one has a W on in it, right? But other than that, it's the exact same sound, right? And I say that to say this, just because we're in the South and you're in the North, I check the pedigree and the history of Indiana. If somebody is, you know, sleeping with their cousin down here, that only means that you're sleeping with your sister up there, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was referring to black players, right? And, you know, when you're talking about incest, nine times out of ten, more like 9.9 times out of 10, you're usually talking about, you know, somebody Caucasian, right? Not saying that it don't happen in the black community, uh, but the image that pops up, if you Google it, usually be somebody white. Um, so, yeah, that just, you know, that whole, you know, racial way of thinking, uh, and not only that, you know, that just backwards way of thinking is is the uh, uh, issue like that, right? It's not only like a race thing or something. It's just, you know, the ignorant way of thinking about people from a certain region of the country. But, you know, that led me into, you know, what is some of, you know, some of my most, you know, racist memories from playing sports growing up? Um, and, you know, as some of you know, I grew up, I'm originally from Mississippi, but I grew up in Alabama. I grew up in the northern half of Alabama, right? And if you're listening from somewhere else, it may not matter because, you know, to you, Alabama might be Alabama regardless, right? You see the stuff in the news, so you're assuming that everybody from everywhere is exactly the same as long as you're in Alabama, right? But anyway... Uh, so I could have, um, easily pulled a story from something I heard, uh, back in high school, uh, growing up in Huntsville, right? Just, you know, a plethora of, uh, stories that I could, that I could tell, especially playing, you know, schools like, like in Arab, there's several stories I could tell there that I heard the crowd, uh, Heard the crowd yelling in both basketball and football. Uh, I used to always take pride because I played corner. Uh, I used to love to line up on the um, visitor side because I love to hear their coaches talk. I used to love to hear. Um, I used to love to hear the crowd, whether it was uh, races or not. My thing was be creative, man. That's that's all it is because. A guy like me, life is funny to me. Like, I haven't, you know, I, I send it past a place to where, um, you know, I'll let life beat the hell out of me, right? Because stuff in life is inevitable. And especially if you're in a place like, um, in an arena like sports or something like that, as long as, you know, nobody's uh, dies or, you know, their life is on the line or whatever, Hey man, look, you can you can't control somebody in the crowd or whatever. So as long as they are creative, you know what I'm saying, and they're not trying to harm me, then hey man, you know I laugh at it. It's funny to me uh, because when we were coming up in high school, you know it got to a certain point to where, you know, at, at one point in time, you know the white guys might come in making a joke. But, you know, me and a couple others were so skilled at, you know, at the get back that, hey, man, you don't you don't want you didn't want the continual assault of what we had to say about you. So, you know, I'm I'm sure there were other people who I went to high school with who had way more stories than me. But after the ninth grade, man, you know, it was yeah, it was kind of hard to, you know 
say something and without being, you know, without being ridiculed, especially when we start freestyling, right? You ain't want to get caught, caught in one of those freestyles and, you know, somebody say something about you and, uh, and everybody in school be talking about it. Cause I had a freestyle in the ninth grade and this one even about nobody white. It was about some girl being musty on the basketball team and they never in the four, this was in the ninth grade. This was like the first semester of my ninth grade year too, right when basketball started. They never let that go. They never let that go. It got named uh, Chase was on the bus and he heard it. And man, he bought that up every year until we graduated. And even after we graduated, I saw him at a party one time. He never let that go. And man, you know, the coach and everything was laughing because, you know, her underarms, man, she was on that onion, man. She had uh, she had that, uh, she must have put that Vidalia flavored uh, deodorant on that day because she came to, came to school smelling like straight onions, man. She had a big old booty. But she was just that day, man. She was not, she was not straight for the stroke that day. But anyway, you know, I said all that um, about Alabama. But ironically, my number one racist story, and that was funny as hell to me, actually came from my time being in California, right? Playing junior college ball in California. Um, now. I went to a uh, majority white high school, right, and and middle school. Now, coming up in Mississippi, I was around all black people, right? But when I moved to Huntsville, you know, it was more diverse. Now, when I say I came up, went to a majority uh, white school, it's not to say, like, uh, I was the only black dude in all my classes. No. It wasn't a 50-50 thing, but it wasn't, like, terribly, like, outnumbered. Like, in all of my classes, you know, if there were, let's say, 20, 20 students in there, then at least five of us was black. Some of my classes, we actually was, it was either equaled out or it's, it might even seem like it was more of us than them. It just depended on the class or whatever, right? Um but anyway, so, you know, I get to uh, California in uh, 2008, right? And, you know, there's guys from all over. Most of them are from, you know, the Carolinas, uh, Georgia, Florida, you know, the uh, West Coast or whatever. And for the most part, all of their experience their whole life has been around nothing but black folks, right? And, you know, some of these guys, a lot of these guys is from the street. So they really have no clue how like uh, white people work, especially when, you know, they get comfortable around you um, and they, you know, kind of want to push the boundaries and see what they can say or what will go and what won't go. Right. But for me, you know, I had that experience growing up and, you know, I have been prepared for this. So that stuff like that. It's funny to me because even if you're a coach, if you if you feel comfortable to say something like that, I feel comfortable to come back at you with it with some jokes, right? If that's how we gonna step, if if you gonna do that, then that's I, that lets me know what type of relationship we have, and we're gonna move forward accordingly. Um, so uh, so we went through camp. We didn't went through camp, uh, right for the pre before the season started. Um, and, you know, people, uh, becoming, you know, um, more accustomed to each other because again, you know, most of the guys out there, a handful of people, uh, came in with somebody who they went to high school with or grew up with, or, you know, might've played with, but it was just a small percentage for the most part. Nobody knew each other. Um, and they, um, you know, we went through camp and, we are, I can't remember if we've played our first game or we're about to play our first game. But it's like, you know, anybody who played football in college and, you know, before you getting ready to travel or whatever, or was it a home game? Anyway, you know, you're getting ready to travel. So, you know, you leave during the week or whatever. So you had it, you know, last day of in pads and, you know, 
everybody's excited because it's early on in the season. You full of energy. You ready to hit somebody else or do whatever, right? You ready to get in a, a game setting. So uh, one of our coaches, uh, I should say his name. I ain't going to say his name, no. But one of our coaches, a white guy, military guy, ironically, spent time in Indiana. I think he's from Indiana, right? So um, he uh, was our defensive line coach. And, uh, you know, he's sitting there and, you know, like I say, he's a military man. He keeps the buzz cut, the military buzz cut all the time. And he, you know, tucks his shirt in and blah, 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 you know, whatever, the whole military marine thing right and um you know guys are becoming more comfortable right with each other you're building that team camaraderie right and in football usually people go off in clicks like the offensive line they're their own group right the offensive line usually in football are the only group who really just you know that's their own group right like we're we're sticking together Right. And everybody else, you're kind of cool with, um, you know, different people from different positions. So, uh, you know, the black guys. Right. You know, we got a thing, you know, when we say my nigga to each other, then, you know, you're saying you my nigga and like you my boy. Right. But when uh, if a white person was to say my nigga, then you're saying like we're property. Don't ever confuse it like you cool. You cool to say it or, or nothing like that. That's what it means. That's check the history of this country. My nigga means when it's coming out of somebody's white historically means this is my property, right? So um, we're getting ready. We have not had our last padded practice before the game, and you know everybody's coming in, and I just like I'm while I'm talking about it, I'm seeing a vivid picture in my head. Right, everybody's laughing or whatever, and uh, you know, you see him and you know the head coach uh, is about to give his little speech or whatever to end practice, and you know our defense line coach says, "Hold on, hold on, coach, hold on, I got one thing I want to say," and he's shaking his head a little bit. I, there's been a word that's just been throwing around and it's been bothering me, and I don't think it builds up. I don't think I don't think it builds. Uh, team camaraderie. I don't think it brings us together. It tears us apart, right? And we are looking around and it not never in a million years would you have thought, even me, even me in my experience, never would you have thought that in this setting would somebody be comfortable enough to say this? A white dude in front of a team that is 90% black most of them from the streets. And <laughs> he says, uh, the word nigger. <laughs> he put the ER on it. Man, I, I can see my boy. I can see my boy Miller right now saying, what you say? <laughs> and I'll shout out to Tron, man. He said, what you say? And he said, the word nigger. It bothers me. Man, if y'all would have heard me fall out laughing, dying in the back, because if people turned around and said and looked at me, man, I was on the ground. <laughs> I was in tears because it was so funny to me. The fact that you would have thought it was like, are we being punked? Are you about to take your face off and you really a black guy or something? Because <laughs> he said, I can't stand. You guys look at each other and call each other nigger. Man, it was so shocking. Like they had never been around in my life where I was um where I was uh in Huntsville, you know, I was around, you know, like I said, majority a mixed crowd, but majority white people. So those guys like they couldn't believe it. Even, you know, the the black coaches on the staff was like and I would have loved to have heard what they said in their meeting. Uh, later on that night <laughs> because you know after that you could kind of tell he I don't know he never apologized for it but you know he did invite us to the uh, extremely Caucasian church I went one time but I was like 
man, this is exactly what you think it would be. <laughs> it's a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of white folks who didn't grow up around black people. You know, they probably felt guilty for either how they were raised or, you know, some of the things they said or done in their life. And um, they, uh, when we came to their church, were just overly friendly and, you know, would bring up, they bring up stories or whatever uh, about stuff they did, trying to find like that uh, common, common ground, right? But, you know, for at least me, I could tell, like, you know, this is their, this is them, you know, showing whatever God they believe in or however they Bible is wrote, written or whatever. Uh, this is them showing like, look, I did, I did this. Now I can get into heaven, right? I did blah, blah, blah. Now I can get into heaven, right? And funny thing about me is, you know, I feel like, you know, if heaven exists the way we think it, the way we're taught it does, then, you know, it should be extremely hard for black people to do anything wrong, considering, you know, our time here on earth. It should be extremely hard. You you have to try really hard to be sent to hell, right? If hell exists the way we're taught it does, right? But if you're white now, if you're white and, you know, I don't care how many, I know some white people who they grew up, they best friend was black still to this day. You know, they love black people or whatever. Hey, man, look, I feel you. All that's great. You know, there's some people who I have nothing but love for. But even if you do all that just because of the history of uh, your ancestors, you should at least have to spend the night in hell before you get to heaven. Just on GP. Just on <laughs> just off GP or what your ancestors did. You should have to be like, oh man, I got to go down here before I get up there. I got to spend the night down here. Yeah, man, you got to at least feel a little bit of it, right? Just because of what they did. And if you black, man, I mean... You know, you have to be, in my opinion, just a real big scumbag to to go down, to go to hell over going to heaven, right? That's just my personal opinion, right? It's just like on Judgment Day, right? Like if you didn't try it your whole life to get ahead and you'd have just been getting knocked down and you're like, well, damn, I don't know what the hell else to do. I didn't try everything and I, I can't get ahead because of my skin color, right? Then on Judgment Day, you should go and be like, look, I tried everything. Uh, I done tried everything. Now, you can't send me down now because I tried, man. I tried everything and I can't get ahead. I couldn't get ahead. You can't hold me back up here, too, and I'd have been here back down there. Because if that was the case, I should have did more dirt down there, right? Anyway. I am coming up on the 55-minute mark, you know what I'm saying? Uh, if you have any, you know, fun, uh, racial stories or anything, even if you're white or Mexican or Asian, right, whatever, Middle Eastern, uh, and you uh, want to shoot your boy an inbox or, you know, if you're using Anchor, if you want to send me a voice message, and you feel comfortable sharing your uh, racist ex uh, experience, then shoot, hey man, holla at your boy, right? But like I said, we are we are at our 55 minute mark, or we're probably a little bit past that now. But uh, man, I want to thank y'all for sitting in and listening to me ramble on. I didn't have a special guest for today, but like I said, man, I am. Uh, working behind the scenes, trying to meet as many people as possible, um, especially through Anchor. Um, I am going to look towards, as the podcast grows, getting some more quality equipment, right, to make this, the sound, the, the sound quality just a little bit better, right, because I think that will enhance the uh, experience, but at the end of the day, what a uh, 
what a sell it is, you know, the the uniqueness, you know, the creativity and of course the personality uh that I bring as well as the guests. So um yeah man, y'all go ahead and subscribe to it or you know follow it however you do it on whatever service that you use. Um you know share it. Share it, share it, share it. Right? Cause that is the best way for me to grow. Uh, for the people who have shared it, man, I so much, I said so muchly, I very much appreciate it. Um, yeah, man, we will, uh, we're going to try and get a special episode put together for, uh, for the Wednesday show that's coming up. Just if I can lock that guest in, um, another professional, uh, yeah, man. I'll holler at y'all later. Y'all have a great weekend. Um, WNBA season is coming up, so y'all go support that. Even if you can't watch it or, you know, listen in to it, man. You know, if you play fantasy sports, man, give WNBA basketball a try. I've already made a couple of lineups. I can't wait because we're going to Mississippi. Uh... And I can't play DFS in Alabama, so I can't wait to get to Mississippi so I can put these lineups in and lose all my damn money. So I'll holler at y'all on Wednesday, man. Y'all be good.